0: today on Divine Truth Podcast. The point of it is to know
1: God, because that is the only thing, church, worth glorying in, knowing God. You don't glory in me, I don't glory in you, we don't boast in one another, we boast in God. And Jeremiah says, listen, this is the main glory, that he understands and knows
0: God. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. 1
1: Corinthians chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 18. Paul says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, Lord God, that you would teach us your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. The church at Corinth, as we've seen together in the past, the church at Corinth had much problem with division. Paul has referred to this division on a number of occasions. He spent a good part of chapter 1 uh, speaking in regard to the divisions that existed in the Corinthian church. Uh, they just couldn't agree on anything. And folks, let me say that there's probably nothing in the world, in the life of the church, any more ugly than for God's people just not to be able to get along. If anybody on this earth should be able to get be able to get along, it should be God's people. And that doesn't mean that we're robots. That doesn't mean that we all share the same opinions about everything, the same thoughts about everything, but it does mean that even if we have differing thoughts about something, it means that still means that we can be respectful and we can be loving. And we can be godly toward one another, and we can be a unified church. Unity, as I've said to you many times, does not, be, does not mean that everybody has the exact same th- th- thoughts about every single thing. It just means that people get along even though they have differing ideas about things. Uh, I've told you before, I'm familiar with a church that some years ago uh, had, was going through a two or three year stint where they had no pastor and that is real brutal for church when a church has no under shepherd that's a very brutal time for the church It's a time because when the shepherd is gone what happens to the sheep the sheep begin to scatter and so when a church goes through a time of no pastor it is a very hard time for that church and if that church survives having no pastor having no leadership for that length of time it is simply by the grace of Almighty God that they do, because it's not a pleasant thing whatsoever. And the reason I know is because I was involved, at least in the school, of a church that had lost their pastor. And, uh, you know, some of that in- inevitably bleeds over into the school. You hear about things, it just, you know, you just can't help but that, for that to happen. And this church went through a period of about two years, maybe a little longer, that they had no pastor and they began to be infighting to the, in, into the church and there began to be problems in the church too, to such a degree that you had, you, they divided the sanctuary up in teams. Team A and Team B. I'm not going to say the spiritual side and the unspiritual side because all, both sides were ungodly. But it was Team A and Team B. And if team and team B, and I'm not joking about this, team B did not like this song leader. And so what team B would do was when the song leader was leading the music, they would, they refused to stand and sing because they didn't like the one who was leading the music folks. That is, and normally what happens is divisions in the church happen over silly things. They usually, if you've ever been involved in a situation, unfortunate for you, but if you've ever been involved in a situation, which I suppose all of us have to one degree or another, been involved in a situation where there's been some sort of division in the church, isn't it usually about silly things? It really, really is. Usually it's never about doctrine, you know, the things that matter. It's usually never about doctrine. It's usually about, what's the number one thing you think division is over in the church? Money. Money. You guessed it, Zachary. Money is the number one thing that divides a church. And what a silly thing to divide a church. Money. What an ungodly thing to divide a church. The second most popular thing that divides a church is personality. Personality. When you have a pastoral staff Of differing personalities, if you're not careful, the church can become divided through allegiance to particular personalities. But I think more so than personalities, and more so than money. Because like I said, church, rarely will you find a church divides over doctrine. It does happen, but rarely. It's usually over something silly. But even on top of personality, and even on top of money... The number one thing that divides the church, we talked about it two weeks ago, I think it was. The number one thing that divides a church is ourselves. And the problem, and we looked at last week how we started looking at the last time together of how in the church we can overcome divisions. And the number one way that we said that we can overcome divisions is that we need to have a proper view of proclivities in other words we need to have a proper view of ourselves because the number one reason why we have so much division going on in the church is because people in the church think so much of themselves we really do don't we if we really if we really brush back all the pious religiosity we really do think a lot about ourselves and we really need to be careful with that And the Apostle Paul says, I just kind of want to recap this. The Apostle Paul says in verse 18, let no man deceive himself. Paul says, if you think that you're wise, if you think that you're wise in this world's wisdom, what does Paul say? You have deceived yourself. You've tricked yourself because you're not really wise. Because listen, church, true wisdom doesn't come from the world. True wisdom comes from being a fool in regards to the world wisdom and being rich toward the knowledge of God. As God's people, we should not seek for worldly wisdom, but we should seek godly wisdom. And the person that thinks a lot about their wisdom has deceived himself, Paul says. Paul says in verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is what? Foolishness with God. Moros. The wisdom of the world is moronic. In compared to the wisdom of the uh, wisdom of God, for it is written, "He taketh the wise in their own craftiness." I told you this. Whenever I think about people thinking so much of themselves, I'm reminded of Ebenezer Scrooge, aren't you? And I remember what—that's my favorite Christmas movie—and uh, I'm reminded of what Fred his uh, nephew said about Ebenezer, he said this, the more my uncle does not know something, the more stubbornly he knows it. You know people like that? The more they do not know something, the more stubbornly they know it. And the number, way fo- number one way, folks, to stop divisions in the church is to understand the fact of our proclivities for ourselves and that is that we tend to think of ourselves a little bit better than we should think. Understand that our wisdom comes from God. Our wisdom does not come from the world. We need to understand that we don't have the understanding of everything. And when we understand that, what does that do? That opens the avenue for other people's thoughts, doesn't it? And it gives us a way to eliminate division. Number two, not only a proper view of proclivities, but a proper view of people. A proper view of people. Look at, uh, as Paul begins to discuss the elimination of divisions by a proper view of ourselves, as the true godly view of ourselves is that our wisdom apart from the divine truth is empty and is futile and vain. It's empty thoughts. And as we understand that, we understand that it will open the door to true wisdom and close the door to division. So he goes from having the right view of ourselves to having the right view of others. Look what he says in verse 21. Therefore, let no man glory in what? Men. Therefore, let no one glory in men. The word "glory" there uh, is a word that means to take pride in something, to boast, to pride oneself. We're not to boast in ourselves because that causes division. But we're also not to boast in men because that causes division. Because Paul looks, notice what we, go down and look at real quick at verse twenty-two. Notice what Paul says there. He, and he's talked about this before. He talked about it again first in chapter 1. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. And remember back in chapter 1, Paul had already warned the Corinthians about allegiance based upon personality or individual style. Church members, when, it, when church members begin to boast over one leader versus another, when they begin to give honor to one leader over another, divisions in the church can happen. Folks, I've seen it. I've seen divisions come into church, not by way of doctrine, but I've seen divisions coming to church when the church valued or honored, at least it seemed that they valued or honored, one leader over another. Now let's be real, some leaders should be respected over others, shouldn't they? I mean, that's just facts. A pastor who carefully studies and preaches the Word of God and lives a life consistent with his preaching deserves to be respected and followed. But it should never be based on his preaching style or personality. But it should only be based upon his faithfulness to the Word of God. I'm I'm under no pretense. We have differing people in this congregation. Some people, some people prefer a more quiet, meek tone. Well, that's just because she can't hear. Some people, some people prefer like, a more animated style. And some people fall somewhere in between. I'm not quite sure where I am. Uh, I'm definitely not the meek, quiet style. Part of that is the 400 watts behind me. Is part of that. But listen, the point is, is that like or dislike of a a sermon, like or dislike of a leader, has nothing to do with their style. You look for one thing. Is he faithful to God's Word? That's it. That's it. Is he faithful to the Word of God? If he has been faithful to the Word of God, then whether it is Paul, verse 22, whether it is Apollos, or whether it is Cephas, he, again, drawing from chapter 1, talking about different leaders in the church, no matter who they are, if they're faithful to the Word of God, they are a person that is worthy to be respected, worthy to be honored. But listen, church, it is just because of the Word, not because of the man. And when we have when we have cliques, when we have honor societies based upon the personality or based upon the style, that church is in trouble. Because that church is honoring a man for the wrong, on the wrong criteria. No one, no man that stands in the pulpit is to be honored because he, he, because you like his particular style of preaching. The number one, as I said, the only question, is he faithful to God's word? If the answer is yes, then you get behind him and follow him. Well, I don't like what he always says. Well, guess what? He probably doesn't like what God tells him all the time either. But if he's faithful to the word of God, you get behind that man and you follow him. But because of his faithfulness to God's word, not because of his personality. Not because of his style. Jeremiah says, in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24, but let him that glorieth glory in this. Okay? Let him that glorieth Glory in this. What is that? That he understandeth and knoweth me. Folks, listen. That is the number one criteria in my life. That is the number one criteria in your life to reach the point where we know God. And God says through the prophet Jeremiah, if there's going to be anything that you glory in, you glory or you boast in this. That you know me. That's all that matters, church. Is that we know God. God. Not that we know about God, but the only thing that matters is that we know God. And our purpose every week as we open up the bread of life, the word of God is to dig into the words of God verse by verse, word by word, and letter by letter if need be, so that we can know God. That's the point. The point is not to spend an hour watching an animated preacher flap his arms. But the point of it is to know God. Because that is the only thing, church, worth glorying in. Knowing God. You don't glory in me. I don't glory in you. We don't boast in one another. We boast in God. And Jeremiah says, listen, this is the main glory. That he understands and knows God. Now listen, there's going to be things about God that we don't understand. There's going to be things about God that are too deep. They're going to be too high for us to be able to understand. That's true. But we need to glory in the fact that we understand about God what He has revealed to us in His Word. Jeremiah says, listen, let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, I am the self-sufficient God, which exercises loving-kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And because glorying in men, glorying in style, glorying in personality can bring such division in the church, we're not to glory in them. Church, listen, we're to glory in God. And if a church will glory in God and not glory in their leaders and not glory in themselves, you don't have to worry about a church being divided, do you? We'll be a church that is unified because our number one objective will be to glorify God. I I could ask any one of you as we uh, in the auditorium tonight, I could probably ask every one of you, even down to my dear wife. I'm not going to, but I could. Do we see eye to eye on everything? From that snicker, you probably could tell that no, we don't see eye to eye on every single thing. I'm waiting. I'm patient. And I'll wait. I'll wait. I don't glory in my wisdom, Shirley, but I'll wait for it to catch up. I don't see eye-to-eye with Jane on everything, and Jane and I are good buddies, aren't we? But I don't see eye-to-eye with Jane on everything. She looks at me sometimes, probably says, you're absolutely crazy. But see, folks, that's not the point, but Jane knows that I'm faithful to God's Word. And I know that Jane loves God's Word. And I know that Jane loves the Lord, and you know what? That's all that matters. I'm not worried about disagreeing or agreeing on the small stuff. That's not what makes a church disunified. What makes a church disunified is when the word of God is displaced with people. What makes a church disunified is when the glory of God is displaced with people. And that causes divisions. I know a pastor, a former pastor, he was a very charismatic pastor. Very charismatic. And he came across charismatic and 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 by his charisma he gained a following and he had and he had people following him just falling all over themselves over this guy because of his charismatic personality but little did they know that behind the door he was carrying on a 15 year affair with somebody with another woman in the church you don't glory in the men you glory in the God who is the creator of man and what did that situation do to the church it caused a division in the church because the glory of God was displaced with people. The word of God was displaced with a man. Don't ever, church, glory in me. Don't ever boast in me. And I don't boast in you. We boast in the Lord. We appreciate each other. We respect each other. We love each other. But we glory in Christ. With glory in his word. We are not to boast in the accomplishments. The achievements of any man. Now that's not to say that we're not to congratulate people. That's not to say that at all. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say that it's wrong to to congratulate somebody for an achievement. But what I am saying is this. Is when that achievement has been displaces the glory of God. That's when it's wrong. And that's when a church is well on the way to division. Even if it's something innocent starting, if it's not chopped off and not stopped, that will lead to divisions in the church. Because listen, folks, the glory of God has been replaced with the glory of man. And we've got to be careful about that. That's what Paul says in uh, verse uh, 21. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Look what it says in verse 21. Then in verse 21. For all things are yours. We don't glory in one another by displacing the glory of God for ourselves because everything that we have comes from God. Nothing I possess, no talent, no nothing that I possess is a result of me. No talent that you possess is a result of you. It's a result of the gift of God. So why in the world do we glory in ourselves? Why in the world do we boast in each other? Because everything that we have comes from God. So glory in Him. Boast in Him. Praise and uplift Him. Over the years, I have been very, when people come up to me, and, and uh, I remember years ago, I have always... Uh, been very careful, somebody comes up to me and says, that's a good sermon pastor, and I've been very careful of, you know, just of making sure that the Lord got the glory, and sometimes you can do that in vanity. Uh, you got to be careful about that, and my home pastor was here, she's with the Lord now, she was here one Sunday morning, and I preached, and, and she came up to me, my home pastor's wife, yeah, Barbara Clark, that's what I said, what did I say? Home pastor. My home pastor? Well, he was here too, but my home pastor's wife was here, And I preached that morning and uh, she came up to me and and she said, uh, Michael, that was a great message. And I gave the typical, you know, praise the Lord, you know, all the glory goes to him, you know, all the, the typical fluff that people say. Whether they mean it or not, that's what they say. And she, she accepted that. A few minutes later, Michael, that was a great message. She was setting me up. And I said, And I said, well, praise the Lord. You know, all the glory goes to him. And she let it it die. A few minutes later, she came to me again, Brother Jerry. Michael, I want to tell you, man. That was a great message. And what I should have looked at her and said, yeah, it was. (laughs) What I said the third time, well, praise the Lord. All the glory goes to him. And she looked at me, and again, I'd known this woman for 25 years. And she looked at me and she says, Michael, would you just stop being so pompous and just say thank you? You can say thank you without glorying in yourself. Somebody gives you a compliment, just accept it. You can accept it without glorying in yourself. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about displacing God's glory with ourself. We're talking about displacing God's word and faithfulness to God's word with ourself. We're talking, about coming to, we're talking about coming to a church. When people come in, maybe you need to search your own heart sometimes. We need to be careful about coming to a church to hear a man instead of hearing the word, right? You know, you got these people that follow evangelists all over the state. You know, whatever church he's in, they're going to go hear the man. And, the, and, the, and that's all fine and good and that's all loyal. But the problem with that is that, that pe- those folks need to be careful that they're not going to hear the man, they're going to hear the word. And if they're not going to hear the word, they're glorying in the man and they need to keep themselves at home because they're going for the wrong reason. We glory in God. We don't glory in men. Because if we glory in men, then that will cause divisions. And a way that we can eliminate division is to have a proper view of people. Let no man glory in men. Because everything that man has, or for that matter doesn't have, is from God. And when we understand that whatever that person has and whatever you have is from God, then we live a life, church, of complete dependence on Him. And if we live a life of complete dependence on Him, then we live a life of total income, independence on ourselves. And if I'm not dependent on myself, then I don't boast in myself. We must acknowledge that, man, that God, not man, rules the world and everything in it. Can I get an amen? The psalmist said in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Everything belongs to the Lord. And that's why we don't glory in men. And since all things are His, personalities, abilities, strengths, weaknesses, since they, since they all belong to Him, we are not to boast in anyone as if somehow those abilities reside in them. And thereby having a potential for the division in the church. Because when a congregation... Is divided over allegiance to people. Whether it be a a leader who is fluent in the pulpit or a church member who is winsome and charitable, we are commanded, church, to have a proper view of people. And the proper view of people is let no man glory in men. Don't boast in each other, boast in Christ. Boast in Christ. Because everything is from him. Number three. We need to have a proper view of possessions, proclivities, people, and possessions. And the point of Paul here is that God is the absolute sovereign of it all. He is the one that's absolutely church, in control of absolutely everything. There is nothing that's outside of the realm of God's sovereign control. Everything is because of him. Everything is by him. Everything is for him. And everything is for his glory. This is, this is just a continuating thought of Paul in verse 22, the latter part of verse 22. Or the world, he says there, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. Everything is of the Lord. Everything we possess is from God. And the world is ours, even now. And though we will possess it in a much richer way in the millennial kingdom, it is ours now. The earth was made for who? The world was made for man. And though it is still in the grip at this moment of the evil one, it will someday belong to us finally. But even though the world seems to be in the grip of the evil one, who is still in control? God is still in control. We were talking today in Sunday school this morning about the fact, can you imagine what would have been the end of the book of Job had Job not believed in the absolute sovereignty of God? If Job did not believe that God was in absolute control of everything that took place in his life, what do you think the closing chapters of the book of Job would have been like? But because Job did believe in the absolute sovereignty of God and the absolute, and he, and, and he became to appreciate that more, didn't he? And he came to appreciate the absolute freedom of God to move about his creation as he wills because that, folks, is the second part of sovereignty. It's one thing to say God is in control, but it's another thing to say that because God is in control, God can move freely amongst his creation as he wishes. But listen, folks, we can't take away his freedom and then say he is sovereign at the same time because he is in control. He does have the power to move and act freely among his creation as he wants. What he says is that the world is yours. Not only the world, but all life is ours. And of course, Paul here in this passage is speaking about spiritual life. We have, church, new life in Christ. The quality of our life that we have in Christ will never be tarnished. It will never diminish. And it will never be lost. And that life is ours now. But it's not because of man. It's not because of man's wisdom. It's because of God. And so as Paul continues this thought, he says, listen, you need to be careful that you aren't divided. And a way to stop divisions is to recognize that everything that you have comes from God. All of your world, all of your life, whether you're alive or whether you're dead, is the gift of God. Your spiritual life, your new life, is God's that He's given to you. Jesus said in John uh, chapter 14, 14. In verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. You see that? Don't say you love God when you disobey his law. God's, Jesus says, If, you, if a man love me, here's the proof of his love, church. What is that? He will keep my words. And what are his words? The scriptures. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And he will come unto him and make our abode with him. What does that say, folks? That says basically this, if a man doesn't obey God's word, it's because a man does not have real, true spiritual life within him. Because it is the person that keeps the words of God that God comes and makes his abode in him. The person that obeys. The person that does not, I'm not saying, per, Jesus isn't talking about perfection, but he's talking about as a habit of life, as a total desire of life, is that you long to obey, you long to, you desire to obey the Word of God. That is your desire. That is your want to. That is your hope. Do you fail? Yes, you do. Do I fail? A whole lot. But the desire of our hearts, as people of God, is that the Word of God would, would reside in us and that we would be faithful to it. And that spiritual life that Paul talks about in verse 22 that's ours is fulfilled or shown in the fact that we obey God's Word. I like what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, according as His divine power. Whose power? His divine power. You guys tracking me tonight? According as His divine power. Hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us un, called us to glory and virtue, whereby have given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature. Well, I like that. We are partakers of the divine nature. I have within me the divine nature of God. Listen, church, you're, you're saved here tonight. The life of God is in you. You're not waiting for it. You're not waiting for one day when you get to heaven to receive divine life. Peter says you have it now. God is sovereignly in control of it, and he freely moves amongst his people, giving to them, granting to them, as we saw this morning, granting to them the divine life, granting to them the divine nature. And what I want you to see in this, folks, is that everything from start to finish is from God. So, what do we have to boast in? And if we don't have anything to boast in, then we don't have anything reason to cause divisions, do we? Because we boast in the Lord, we glory in the Lord. But not only is the world ours, not only is life ours, but also death is ours. This is not a reference to the fact that we will not die. But it is a reference to the fact that the great enemy has been overcome. Isn't that good? The great enemy, death, has been overcome. Christ conquered death. And therefore, through him, we have conquered death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks Be to God. Who? You? Me? We glory in the Lord, right? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, unless the rapture happens... As I've shared with you a few times, the current ratio is one out of one people die. So unless the rapture happens, we will pass through the doors of death. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. But the doors of death will just bring us face to face with our master. Charles Spurgeon said from the pulpit of the Metropolitan Tabernacle one one day in London, England, he said, you will read in the papers that Mr. Spurgeon is dead. He says, don't you weep for me. Because it's at that moment that I am more alive than I have ever been. And as we pass through the gateway of death, it's a doorway to the master. Your loved ones that you have said goodbye to on this side of eternity. I always hope that it comforts families. That when, you, that when you say goodbye to your family on this side of eternity, when you say goodbye to them as they close their eyes in death, as they draw their last breath, I always try to encourage families by telling them this will be the last time you ever say goodbye to them. Because the next time you see them, you would have entered the door, the portals of death, and you will stand before your master Forever. And the next time you see your loved one, it will be forever. Because Jesus Christ has overcome in his grace and his power and his sacrifice at Calvary. Jesus Christ has overcome death. He has overcome the devil. And you and I are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to death. Death is no longer our master. But death is just a deliverer into the presence of the Lord. That's why the great martyrs of the 15th and 16th century could look death in the face while they were burning at the stake for, their, for the crime of possessing the Bible in their own language and dare speak in the name of Jesus. That's why they could look death square in the face and sing praises to God. Because now I belong to Him He belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. We belong to Jesus. And death is just a doorway to get us there. Isn't that good? And then Paul says, or things present. This encompasses everything that we have or we ever experience in life, whether it is good or whether it is bad. Listen, church, it's in God's hands. It all serves to make us spiritually richer. I like what Paul says. I quoted it this morning. I like what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, where Paul says, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. How? Important prepositional phrase. Through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor, things pow- nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, and that pretty much entails everything, doesn't it, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, folks, your present life is in the hands of a sovereign God who freely moves amongst the life of His people. So boast in Him. And when you boast in Him, that eliminates division. That's the point. But then He says, or things to come. This speaks of our eternal blessedness in heaven. Boy, I can't wait. Can you? Boy, I can't wait. You know, there's things about heaven I don't understand. uh, You know, I don't understand transparent gold. You know, we walk on streets of gold and we believe that those streets of gold are going to be transparent gold. And we say, well, why are they transparent gold? Because you'll be able to see the river of life under the streets, so they've got to be transparent. And so I can't understand the the transparent gold, so that really doesn't have a draw to me. You know what has a draw to me in heaven? The words of Fanny Crosby. I want to see my Savior, first of all. Face-to-face face with Christ my Savior. Face-to-face, face, what will it be? A preacher was visiting Fanny Crosby one day and just, had, just in casual conversation, he inadvertently had mentioned his or her blindness. Immediately, he began to apologize over himself for mentioning her blindness. And she says, Pastor, you don't need to apologize to me. Fanny Crosby says, I'm not sorry, I'm blind. But because I am blind, The first face that these eyes will see will be the Son of God Himself. What an eternal blessing that we have waiting for us. And, folks, I can't wait for the day when we will possess it. I want to see my Savior. I'm looking forward to not living a life that's filled with sin. I'm looking forward to the time that I don't struggle over the flesh. Yeah, I want to see my family that's gone on before me. What does Paul say in Ephesians 4? We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus now. We don't need to wait to get to heaven, folks, to enjoy the blessedness of what we're of the place we're going to see. We can enjoy the blessedness of heaven now. Why don't we? Because we let our flesh get in the way. But Paul says in Ephesians 1 that those blessednesses are ours now. Those things are ours now. And that's what Paul says here. Those things to come are ours now. In verse uh, 22. But they are not because of us, are they? They're because of another. We have those blessings because of Christ. And so we need to get ourselves out of the way. We need to get man out of the way and glorify God. Because everything that we have belongs to Him that's the point point. and when we realize that everything that we have is because of Christ it takes away all boasting in ourselves and when we do not boast in ourselves that eliminates division number four a proper view of our proclivities a proper view of people a proper view of possessions and then a proper view of our possessor for Paul the reality is that divisions are caused by the wrong focus the wrong focus when divisions happen in the church it's because either the church as a whole or some of the leaders in the church or some of the big mouths in the church whatever the case may be have lost their focus have lost their focus when they focus too much on themselves They focus too much on personalities. They focus too much on the talents of others. And not focusing enough on, on the fact that everything that we have is because of Jesus Christ. And then Paul concludes with this thought with another focus. Focus on the possessor. Focus, church, on the one to whom you receive all things. And by far, The most important requirement of overcoming divisions, church, listen, is to have a right view of Jesus Christ. It is in reality, the root, the root cause of all divisions, it begins when we take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. And therefore, putting our eyes back on him will eliminate the division. Because as we keep our eyes on him, we're keeping our eyes off of ourselves and off of other people, and we've got the correct focus on him. And Paul says in verse 23 Ye are who? Ye are Christ's. Folks, as believers, we belong to who? We're not, our, we're not our own anymore. We've been bought with a price. We've been bought with a price. In fact, we belong to each other. We belong primarily to Christ, but we also belong to one another because we're one body in Christ. And since, we're, and since we all belong to, our, to each other, to, dry, to try to divide that of which we belong is really to do harm to yourself, isn't it? Why anybody would want to come into a church a a body of which they are a part and try to divide it is unfathomable to me. Because if you take the biblical definition of the body of Christ the church, you're trying to harm yourself. People within the framework of the local church are one. And to try to divide that is to divide yourself and what does Jesus Christ say in Matthew 12? That a house divided against itself cannot what? It cannot stand. It cannot stand. Jesus said in John 17, beginning in verse 21, that they may be, what? One. One in purpose. One of mind, One goal. Singularly, divide, divi- singularly focused. Not divided. That they may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Do you still notice what Jesus says? The biggest way that a church can deter the world from coming to Christ is for the church to be divided. When the church is divided, we have absolutely no message to give to the world. And the glory, he goes on to say, the which thou gavest me, I have given them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved me, and has loved them, rather, and thou hast loved me. Listen, we are tied together. We are tied together in an eternal oneness with the Father and Jesus Christ, therefore, We are in them, right? That's what what Paul says. You are Christ, and Christ is God. We are part, listen, church, we are part of each other. So we need to keep our eye, and we're all in Christ. So keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes focused on the possessor, the one who owns it all, the one who is sovereign over it all. Keep your eyes focused on Him. So, how can we be one with each other if we're divided? We can't. We can't. And that begins with a failure to understand the reality of our spiritual union with the one that who is the possessor. And because our oneness is in Christ, we are one body and we're part of each other. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 12, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, for as as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of one another. You You don't exist in Emmanuel Baptist Church by yourself. You exist along with several other people. And try to divide that would be silly, wouldn't it? Because you're trying to divide yourself, because it's 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 something of which you are a part, and we real and when we keep our highest church focused on Christ, it eliminates division. So how do we eliminate division in the church? And I guess you could say that the very uh, the very uh, of how to cause division is to do the very opposite of this. But how do you cause how do you eliminate division in the church? Don't focus so much on yourself, because listen. You and I don't have it all figured out. As I look out on the congregation every, every Lord's Day and every Wednesday night, I see some pretty smart people. It's very obvious that Abby is very smart. Right? <laughs> Abby will agree with you. If you, don't, if you don't believe her, ask her. It's very obvious that Abby is very, very smart. And Abby would say, Pastor, it's very obvious that you are smart. And I would agree with you too. I'm just, I didn't want her to have to say it because she's not much of speaking up in public, so I was just going to say it for her. But as I look out in the congregation every every service, I see some very smart people. But you know what? We don't have it all figured out, and and we'll never and we never will until we reach heaven shore. So stop focusing so much on yourself. Stop focusing so much on our own wisdom. And that'll help delim- eliminate division. Stop focusing so much on people. How somebody else lives, the struggle somebody else has is no bearing on your personal life. As far as you're standing before Christ. So stop focusing on people. Stop boasting in people because of personality and because of style. Boast in the Lord. And have the proper perspective of your possessions. Everything belongs to him. And because everything belongs to him, he freely moves to divide all those things that belong to him. And then, folks, number one, and primarily, have a proper view of the possessor. Have a proper view of Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. And if you and I will keep our eyes focused on Christ, all the other three things will fall into line and there will not be divisions in Emmanuel Baptist Church if we will keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Boast in Him. Glory in Him. Not in yourselves, not in what you possess, and not in each other. Boast in Him.
0: Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m., as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Amanda Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.